Antichrist. I want to welcome um, the uh, internet audience uh, that's in their homes watching this. And as I just indicated to our class, we're going to do two weeks on the Antichrist. And I want to begin by saying to you, please do not be frightened by what you're going to hear and what, what we're going to study. And the reason that I can say that is that I know with absolute clarity that you will not be here for this. You will, uh, as Christians sold out to Jesus, you'll be taken out of this world uh, at the rapture. Uh, and it is only after the rapture uh, that the Antichrist will rise up. He will step into the vacuum in this world when there will be chaos throughout the world. Uh, and he will be a person who will seemingly find a way to stop the chaos and the world will be attracted to him. And we're going to study this. Uh, and it will be one of, not one of, it will be the worst time that will ever take place in this world. The devastation and the suffering and the persecution on a global basis, the likes of which the world will never have seen uh, before. Uh, but you will not be here. Uh, and so I want, you, I want you to have that assurance. And so as we begin this study, you know, Christians have been guessing about the Antichrist for centuries, for centuries, uh, because it was written about in the first uh, century church, in the early church, they discussed it. Uh, and many of the early Christians were convinced that one of the brutal Roman uh, Caesars uh, was the Antichrist. And as centuries passed, as some of the very despicable popes uh, raised their profile, people thought that maybe it was the Gregory the Ninth uh, or Leo the Tenth, uh, especially during the Protestant Reformation when so many Christians were tortured, uh, and they thought that maybe they were the Antichrist. Uh, and in more recent times, some of the political figures like Mussolini and even Hitler were thought of as the Antichrist. But I can sure you, assure you, none of them were the Antichrist. Uh, and there is a precise formula that we will study. The Bible has made it very clear uh, as to how the Antichrist will arise, where he will arise from, what he will do. And we're going to really try to drill down uh, and give you this so that you have uh, a comfort, a theological comfort. Here's the bottom line. When I teach, it's my responsibility to tie in Scripture to what I say. If I don't tie in Scripture, don't even listen to what I'm saying. Really. All right? Because if I'm not tying in Scripture, then what I'm saying is merely an opinion, a personal opinion. And my personal opinions are irrelevant. But if I tie in Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then you better listen. Uh, because that's God speaking to your heart. Uh, and so, perhaps the best description of the Antichrist is given uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Why don't we turn there as we study this? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. And here, you know, Paul will speak clearly about this. Jesus has spoken about it also. Uh, and we will get through and, and tie that in with what Jesus has said. But this first passage really clearly articulates the uh, Antichrist. Verse 1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, and by the way, gathered to him means raptured to him. The gathering to him means the, the picking up from this world and taking up in the air to Jesus. We ask you, brothers, 
not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Meaning that they were concerned, even during that early days, that there were some quasi-prophets and people going around saying that the day of the Lord had already come, meaning that, that the, the rapture had come or that Jesus had come back in some fashion uh, and that there were people left behind. And he's telling them, this is not true. Don't go there. Don't believe that. These are false prophets, false prophecies. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Now, the title there that he gives the Antichrist is the man of lawlessness. Uh, and there are about 10 other names that the Antichrist has been given, which I will give to you in the course of this lesson. But that's important to understand. But un understand this. He is doomed to destruction. Yes, he will persecute. He will cause hundreds of millions of people to die. But in the end, he is doomed to destruction. We win. All right? We win. But there will be a lot of blood in the interim. Uh, but you won't be around to see it. Verse 4, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. <coughs> this is the essence of the Antichrist. He is opposing God. He is raising himself up as God. All right? And he will ultimately go into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and he will have a statue of himself, and he will insist that he be worshipped as God somewhere around the midpoint of the tribulation period. And we know, and we'll go through that, the mathematics, and actually God even lays out approximately when that happens, how many days into the tribulation period, when does that occur, and you'll see that. Uh, but he will effectively ask to have himself worshipped as God. That is the key to the Antichrist. The Antichrist ultimately wants to be worshipped as God. Uh, it becomes someone who, is a, who becomes possessed by Satan, who Satan takes over, and this is Satan's last claim to try to take control of this world. Verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And obviously, he had, he had spoken about these things orally, but he had not really written a letter that we can look to to talk about it. And now you know what is holding him back so that, it may, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. What is holding him back? What is holding him back is the great restrainer, the Holy Spirit. And this all ties in together. It's a neat bow, meaning what? When the, when the church is raptured out of this world, and it will be, the Holy Spirit takes the church out of this world that is the very restraining moment of evil. I want you to understand something. As bad as things are right now in this world, it is being restrained by the Holy Spirit. Believe me. But if the Holy Spirit were not here, if the church were not here, and I talk about the church universal, if the church were not here, evil would be unrestrained like you can't believe. And so what will happen is, in that vacuum of chaos, this man is going to step up uh, and 
ultimately seek to have himself worshipped as God. And he is a man. He is a man. Uh, he will be born of, a, of a, a man and a woman. He is a man. But he will become possessed by Satan uh, as he effectively gives himself up to this dark worship. Uh, and so this is going to be a dark time. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. It's just an amazing, amazing uh, prophecy here. Uh, Jesus will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth. Now, we know this, as we'll get uh, citations in Revelation, that when Jesus comes back at the second coming, at the end of the tribulation period, the seven years, at the end of the seven years, when there is uh, absolutely Jerusalem will be surrounded by uh, a couple of hundred million soldiers seeking to do evil where the world looks like it's just coming to a cataclysmic end, Christ will return to this planet and all of us in this room will be with him following behind as the saints in that army of God and Jesus uh, will descend on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives right in the middle of what this incredible cataclysmic army will be uh, on the Battle of Armageddon. And Jesus will speak a word. A word. That's what the Bible says. And as he speaks that word, hundreds of millions of evildoers will die. And they die in a very horrific way. It says that their eyes will rot, their tongues will swell up, uh, and, they will, and they will die instantaneously. Can you imagine? Uh, but this is all will take place as we will be there. You're going to have an eyewitness view of this because you're going to be following along and all your relatives that have died in the Lord, they'll be with you in the army of God. What an amazing passage this is. Uh, as you see the end times coming together. Um, uh, the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Look, here's the bottom line. If you don't accept Jesus Christ, you will believe a lie. You will believe a lie. You saw that going back to the time when the Jewish people were taken out of Egypt. Uh, and as Moses put his serpent down with the rod, that the Pharaoh's magicians could replicate that. Their, their rods turned into serpents, all right? Satan has some power. But ultimately, the rod of God, the, the snake that God had from his rod, ate and devoured those other rods. So you understand something. This is pretty serious. So there's going to be miracles People are going to see things, and they're going to be drawn to these things, thinking that these are uh, manifestations of God. They are not manifestations of God. They will be manifestations uh, of evil. But people will be deceived by it. For this reason, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. How about that? So God, this is all part of God's plan. I know you're sitting there thinking, wow, this is amazing. 
that God would put this whole thing out there, and this is how the end times are coming. Well, God is going to try to save every human being on this planet. And some people uh, will not be saved at the rapture. There will be people that will be left behind. But those people will have a second chance, all right? And they're going to be around during this period of time, and it's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. Uh, but some people, many people will be saved. Uh, and, and so that's our great hope that every single person that God plans for will be saved. And so I want you to be, begin to get a sense of what this is about. Now, here's the thing. The, the overwhelming characteristic of the Antichrist is boastfulness. Uh, when you read this, uh, he is constantly boasting about himself. And this is why God hates pride. God hates pride. There's not a single example in Scripture where God used a proud man. None. None. And so I want to say to you right up front that, that if you want God to use you, and you are, you are finding yourself still needing humility, you need to ask God uh, to give you that characteristic. You know, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You have the means to be humble if you let the Holy Spirit have sway in your life. It is because we don't let the Holy Spirit have sway in our life, and we go back to exhibiting these characteristics of carnality, which effectively winds up being uh, lifting ourselves up. I want you to turn, seeing this boasting, to Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse 8. And you know we're going to hear about the horns uh, on the fourth beast coming out of the water, and, and one of those horns will be the Antichrist. While I was thinking about about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The horns had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Now, here you can understand it. So everything up to this point is speaking about kings uh, and about nations, and now this little horn is not a nation. It is not a king. It is about the Antichrist. And you see that here. Uh, interesting look at verse 9. It says a good commentary. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended, attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I mean, so you see effectively this judgment taking place in heaven. Uh, and then in verse 11, then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. And so there you see it, God himself convening the authorities in heaven, a, a, a divine court uh, rendering a decision on this evildoer, effectively Satan incarnate. Uh, an incredible situation. I want you to read with me now uh, Daniel chapter 7. Let's read from verse 15. And I want you to understand something, that while Daniel is experiencing this vision, and he will be uh, have the angel Gabriel explain it to him. He is troubled. He is frightened. He is upset. So I don't want you to think that he's just a blasé guy writing down what, what he's seeing. Well, make no mistake about it. This is terrifying to him. 
He's terrified by this. Uh, but I don't want you to be terrified because you're not going to be around to see it. He didn't know that then. Verse 15, Daniel chapter 7, verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of this. He's speaking now to the angel Gabriel. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts that will be coming out of the sea are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Meaning what? That we, as the descendants of the Lord Jesus, will be in the kingdom of God forever. This, this expression of the Antichrist will pass and then will be eliminated. Then I wanted to know, verse 19, then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Again, boastful speaking. As I watched, the horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. I want you to see that. He's defeating, the Antichrist is defeating those people post-rapture that have come to accept Jesus Christ. He is taking martyrs. He is murdering martyrs. All right? So this is not a a good picture at all, but this is post-rapture. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. God declares victory. He gave me this explanation. This is Gabriel now. The fourth beast, and here it is, the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. And then another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue the three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and a half a time. What does that all mean? It means this, that in some way this fourth kingdom comes up, and theologians believe that in some way it's a derivation of the Roman Empire. That was the last great empire that spanned the world. We don't know for sure, but in some way uh, it's a derivation of that. And in that, in that kingdom, there will be uh, ten kings. And I gave you in an earlier recitation the fact that the, the Psalms speak about a, a confederacy of ten nations Uh, surrounding Israel. I know you may remember that. It included Egypt. It included Palestine. It included Syria. It included Iraq. Uh, And so many theologians believe that those 10 nations come from this confederacy all surrounding Israel. Why do I say it? This is all about destroying Israel. Okay? That's what this is about. If I have to distill this to its simplistic bottom line, this is about destroying Israel. Satan wants Israel wiped off the face of the earth. Okay? He wants any representation of Jesus wiped off the face of the earth. And so you see that here uh, in this uh, explanation. And so 
what will happen there is of those, that, that ten kingdom uh, confederacy, uh, seven of those will be wiped out. Uh, and out of that, then, the Antichrist will rise up and he will effectively take over that confederacy. That is why uh, most theologians believe that the Antichrist will come out of the Middle East. He will be a Gentile. Some people believe he will be a Muslim. I can't say that I, that I see any evidence of that, but I do believe he will be a Gentile, and I do believe he will come out of the Middle East. And he will walk into a world of chaos uh, as a result of the rapture. You can just imagine what this world is going to be like. I mean, just think about the moment of the rapture where airplanes are going to be left without pilots and, and planes all over the world will be crashing, where, where uh, trains left without conductors, uh, where, where buses left without riders, where cars are going to be left riderless. There are going to be millions upon people, millions of people who will die during this period of time in a period of utter chaos. And then the graves of the saints that have died in the Lord will be opened up. All right? And so all across the world, hundreds of millions of graves will be opened up. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? And then who knows how many hundreds of millions of Christians will be sucked out of the world. Gone. Houses empty. Apartments empty. People just gone. All right? And so I want you to think about this. Uh, in many ways, uh, when we study the end times, the United States is not mentioned. Uh, as one of the nations, and, and theologians believe that one of the reasons for that is the United States is decimated in the rapture because we have such a high number of Christian people. And by the way, as I read it, there's no demarcation between really good Christians and carnal Christians. You got that? So some of you who are kind of limping along, I got good news for you. I don't have much good news about limping, but in terms of understanding this, you know, if you've accepted Jesus, even if you're limping along, you're going, okay? Now, the bad news from you is you still have to sit with Jesus as he runs the videotape of your life, and now start preparing for that, all right? I can't help you with that. That's you and Jesus. But I want you to understand this. You're gone. So just think of this mess. Just think of this mess. And now this guy, this charismatic guy, all right, uh, is going to rise up. And the world is going to be enthralled with him. Enthralled with him. In fact, as I studied this, um, I, I wanted to study some of the characteristics of this guy. Uh, because it's a, it is amazing how gifted he will be. Let me, let me tell you this. This guy is going to be one of the most gifted people the world will ever see. First of all, he will be an intellectual genius. He will be an intellectual genius. Uh, he will have great intellect. Turn to Daniel 8, verse 23. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. A master of intrigue. Meaning what? His intellect is so great that he will plot uh, through his mind how he will arise and how he will take center stage. And he will be manipulating these other people. Uh, in every way. He will be an oratorical genius. An oratorical genius. Turn to Daniel 11, verse 36. The king, and he's referring to, to the Antichrist, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. 
His oratory will be blasphemous. He will sit there and go on and say the most blasphemous things against Jehovah, but with great oratorical gifts. And so people will be astounded at this. He will be a political genius. All right? He will know how to move the pawns across the globe. He is actually going to take uh, authority over the entire world. He will get other nations to give themselves up, give up their authority to him. So he will be a political genius, and he will be a military genius, meaning he will subjugate the entire world as he sets this course to take the world hostage. And so you're dealing with someone uh, of incredible gifts and talents, uh, and he will be demonized by Satan himself. Satan will take over this man, uh, and he will become fully a disciple of Satan. And at, at, during this high, mo high moment, he will be hailed as the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. That's how, how bad things will be, and this man will be hailed like that. So this is really uh, an, an astonishing uh, series of events uh, as we see God really coming together here uh, and speaking about this. So I wanted to finish up with a couple of verses there. Uh, um, he will speak against the Most High and oppress the saints and try to change the set times and the laws. What does that mean? It means this. He will change the calendar. The current Julian calendar, which is predicated on the birth of Jesus Christ, will be abolished. It'll be abolished because he will have no reference whatsoever to Christ. All right? So there'll be some new calendar that this guy will initiate, having no reference at all uh, to Christ. Um, and it says here, um, he will try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. What does that mean? Time, times, and half a time is three and a half years. It's three and a half years, and I'll prove that to you later as we uh, unpack that. It's three and a half years. So what does it mean? It means that the tribulation period starts pretty much from the rapture. It starts slowly. It starts slowly. Uh, he's going to put a, um, a pact together with Israel. He's going to get a peace pact in which Israel and its neighbors will have peace. And everybody's going to hail him. Oh, my gosh. This guy brought peace to Israel. Look at this. The Arab nations are coming to peace and allowing Israel to live. And the world will hail him. The world will hail him. And then he will allow the temple to be rebuilt. Be rebuilt. Oh, look at this. The temple is being rebuilt. And so you're gonna, people are going to be sucked along by this. Until he gets to about the three and a half year mark, he's going to walk into that rebuilt temple. He's going to put a statue of himself up and declare that everyone in the world has to worship him as God. Bingo. Now the dark times begin. And then it says that for three and a half years, the saints, meaning those who are left, right, those who have come to Christ after the rapture, those people will now be turned over to him, uh, and their lives will be hell. It will be an awful existence in so, in so many ways. Uh, but here's the good news. But the court will sit. That's the divine court with the Ancient of Days. The court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. So as he's destroyed, what's going to be left is going to be turned over to the saints of God. 
uh, as Jesus will take control of this world. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale. But I kept the matter to myself. Can you imagine what this had to be like to almost have a telescope into the future and to see this and to see the frightening aspect. But here's what I want to assure you. We win. You won't be here. You're not going to experience this. God won't put the church through this. All right? It's not God's intention to do this. This is all about giving people into their darkest desires. Look, if you don't serve God, you know, it's either black or white. There's no in-between. You're either with God or against God. You've either accepted Jesus Christ or you've rejected Jesus Christ. And what you see here is the remnant of those people that have rejected Jesus Christ. And instead of just wiping everybody out once, he gives them a second chance. And so Satan will come out, and in some ways, God will use this to eventually bring millions of people to faith. And they will come to faith. And we will continue to study this next week in part two. Let's go in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have revealed this to us, Lord as dark as this is, as frightening as it is, Lord, we have the confidence to know we won't be here. And we have the confidence to know that in the end you win. Lord, have this lesson resonate in our heart this week. Help it to grow. Help us to teach the world that's lost about what is to come. People need to understand this, that there's evil surrounding us, prevalent in every way, and let us deliver this message so that some poor person can come to faith that otherwise would not have. Lord, I ask you to be with our people, protect them in every way, bless them this week, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.